S-H-I-V-A-N-J-A-N-I. And then my surname is Lal, L-A-L. So there probably might be like things where you're like, uh, <laughs> but I like to hide behind maybe the idea that I'm asking on behalf of yeah. listeners rather than just my own ignorance. I feel like um, there are so many times where I don't know stuff and I'm supposed to know stuff. Like I only realised recently what intersectional was and I should know that. Intersectional? <laughs> yeah. Because that's a term that's come up quite a bit in the last three months, but also privilege and stuff like that. And like these are things that I thought I was like, like, like cognizant of, but didn't fully sort of realize what the terminology was until very recently. Great. Um, but it's also that thing of like, there are so many times where I'm typing my name and I just misspell it all the time <laughs> and I feel like if I just keep misspelling it it'll yeah. just correct itself right well yeah I guess you could program your computer to yeah. um, <laughs> autofill correct yourself I mean but like it's kind of um, I think like I'm just I, I always feel like um, it's easy to to stop learning like so easy to kind of be complacent and to be like oh I didn't know so it's not an issue or you could kind of go I didn't know but maybe there's something I could do about it or maybe there's a new way I can understand it um and I feel like like my what for this like 18 months has been Mm. um are we starting or are we just well no I'm like but I'm interested (laughs) maybe this is an excellent place to start uh Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. Um, we can start. You can just keep on your idea yeah. and then later say your name. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess like my my what for the last little while has been um, listening and how we listen and 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 listening as a place of healing. Um, and um, and I, I like. <laughs> I, I read my horoscope like a week and a half ago and it said, you know, there are two types of people in this world. There are people who listen to understand and there are people who listen to, like, listen to reply. And, um, and I was like, oh, my God, that's that, – that, that, that was it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like I got to about 24. Four, five before I knew that. Yeah. And I, I had forever until that point listened with like preparation to reply. Yeah. I feel like when you pause, there's a moment in which you can kind of acknowledge what you've heard. Mm. Um, and in the last 18 months, I've had to kind of really dig deep <laughs> um, and and really figure out um, like because I was in a project that kind of really didn't work out as well as I would have hoped and, and um, or didn't work out at all really like if I'm honest like I feel like it was meant to be a, a collaborative project about women's stories and 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 I, it made me really question what this idea of collaboration was because I think um, collaboration is huge in my practice. I feel like as an artist, um, 
when I'm collaborating well, um, I leave whole, but I leave better. Um, um, and the individuals that I collaborate also are themselves, but they kind of have gained something. Um, when I, this project that just ended, I felt diminished. And that was, um, that's hugely disappointing, you know, um, especially when, you know, there were things that made me kind of like, I mean, there were alarm bells throughout this process, but I kind of just kept going because I wanted to see it, see the end of it. Um, there were things that were important to me, um, I wanted to be part of a particular festival um, that meant huge, like was huge in my own personal artistic history, and and um, and and I wanted to live up to my own expectations of that. And I think maybe <coughs> if I hadn't, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of what ifs, but um, but I do remember thinking at some point we're not listening to each other. You know, we're, we're definitely not seeing the value in each other. And um, and maybe if we had, then the project that we had offered, which was a beautiful project, I'm not diminishing it in any way. I think we did a good job with the, the best of the resources and um, ideas and, uh, you know, things that we wanted to put into it. But I think if we had stopped and paused a little bit more maybe that project would be infinitely more open and um had a different sort of potential whereas the the thing that we offered i felt just offered only one story when it could have offered a multiple a, a multiplicity of views and access points um do you want to give some some more specifics about what um, what it is that you do. <laughs> uh, I just mean, yeah. in, what, in what context do you find yourself listening and not listening? And, um, and what are you focused on? Yeah, so I guess I am a visual artist, and, um, but I, I, I'm very grounded in con- like in conceptual art so like I usually come up with an idea and then find a medium to to um, <coughs> you know to, to translate that idea into and often um, I'm really interested in trying to figure out um, how to connect with audiences I think audiences are really uh, important I find that audiences are incredibly intelligent but we dumb like the way that some people engage with them are so dumbed down that I'm left going like did you not know that intelligent people would come to your thing (laughs) I wonder if there's layers of audience and the final public audience is quite intelligent yeah but the gatekeepers along the way that will get us to them yeah uh maybe not so yeah or it like whether they are or are not the work is made for the in-between audience, not the final audience. Yeah, maybe. Or, or you know, I think it's also, like, I mean, this this last work that I made was for, for 
for a theater audience, which is an audience that I like, I, I love going to the theater. I've gone to the theater a lot in the last sort of eight years or so. Um, and there's particular engagements that I like as a theater audience member. And, but it was sort of outside of my realm. So I was kind of in the dark about it a little bit, but I feel like art audiences and theater audiences are very similar. Um, and I think, um, but I'm also kind of curious about like theater outside of like, I mean, when I grew up, I, I think I grew up with a lot of theatre in my life, but it wasn't, like, going to a theatre. Um, like, my parents were part of a prayer group, and every Friday we had this movable feast of of, of prayer um, and song and storytelling that was shared in a home and with music and food. And, you know, a lot of my practice or my arts, like, all of the things that I connect to... Um, is centered on that idea, that idea that it it is this sort of movable feast, that it is uh, connected to community, that it's from community, that it can be retold over and over again. Like the same thing, the one idea <coughs> is retold. So my mum and dad are part of this Ramayana group mm -hmm. and they've been part of this group for <coughs> 20 years. Like, and the reminder takes three years to tell, like, one hour a week. You know, three years to tell. But they've been doing it for 20 years, yeah. you know. And if you looked at any... And it's 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 a male... I mean, it's very... Like, it's a group of men who are, who are coming together. Mm -hmm. There's one storyteller or lead storyteller. Um, and... But if you looked at or asked them individually if they were artists or musicians or actors, they would say no, mm. but they are. Mm. And um, that I think is incredibly fascinating, that idea that it's already inbuilt. Um, it, yeah, you know, that it's, um, and I, I think it's also in that retelling, there's something interesting about that because it's re being remade every single yeah. time. It's never told the same way. He can't, look at the transcript like 10 years ago and go, how did I do that? Like it's influenced by like his current state of being. And are people, is it the same people that are there for the three years or do people swap in and out? Some people swap in and out and, um, but also like I think in the last sort of 20 years, like my family has grown up and so now it happens in my cousin's houses and stuff like that. And there's something really beautiful about that idea that it's not like it it's evolving as as these people are evolving yeah um but i guess like i think that's that i mean that's something that's been influencing myself as an artist in the last sort of um year and a half and actually this 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 next wave project was like like stemmed from me kind of saying, oh, I'd really like to invite those guys into an art space. Mm. Like, like I think there's something weird and wonderful about that. Um, and like there is something really incredibly weird and wonderful about inviting something that is quite – like I've seen them actually perform in like 
uh, I guess like a a theater setting or like a a, a hall, um, like a scouts hall and stuff mm. like that. And it's a very different feel to when they're <coughs> at home. Yeah. Um, and the food is always delicious. I think that that's the best bit about it, really. <laughs> yeah. I remember going to a club night that yeah. Benji Ra ran at yeah. Addison Road Community Hall. And there was um, Filipino food and there was drag performances. <laughs> and Yeah. Um, something about it being in a hall meant that everybody there was... You're either performing or you're there to support the performers. Yeah. You're not there to receive what you had paid for. Yeah. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I remember performing at the Filipino Club in Darwin, actually. Because <laughs> um, all the boys that I was in a breakdance crew with, about <laughs> there were about six or seven of us that fluctuated, but half of them were Filipino. Yeah. And had grown up there and moved to Australia when they were young children. Um, and so they, they would get dragged in to sing or to dance, traditional dance. And then at one point throughout the night, there would be the breakdance <laughs> section. <laughs> and I remember once actually they were, there was, um, they were short one person. And so I got to play the dragon shaped yeah. bunch of um, drums or almost, gongs almost. Gongs, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, and like you said, it didn't ever seem like I'd suddenly, in my performing arts career, cost, crossed multicultural boundaries. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was interested in all these other things. I was just with the people I was with. Yeah. Doing what we do yeah. to be together. Yeah. And then I, I wonder how you take that into a performance space. Yeah. And have people who are not your cousins or your... Yeah. Uncles come and come and have a similar experience, but for them it's a once-off experience. Yeah, I you know I think that that project is gestating. I don't think it like it it would have been right or appropriate to have it in mm. next wave. Although it would have been interesting. Um, well, I don't even know if maybe it would be appropriate, but I guess um, stuff like that takes time. Yeah, you know and. Um, and and you gotta like do it respectfully because these these guys are elders in my community and you wouldn't like that there, there's there's just a number of things that would have needed to have occurred um but I think it's also that thing of um like maybe in the last sort of couple of years, one of the things that I've thought about a lot is that um this notion that the the home that I grew up in, which is in suburban Litcombe, like whatever contents inside of that home or that, that block of three-quarter block of land was Fijian Indian and then outside was Australia. And so like having to sort of um, navigate like Australia and then Fiji or my sort of my, my cultural Indian background and then and then the sort of weird connection, disconnection that I had with Fiji and that I was born there, but I, I, I didn't, like, I didn't know how to acknowledge it. 
Mm. You know, um, because I don't like there's this um, in India, there's this concept of desi, which is a very sort of patriotic idea of the expat or the the expat Indian coming home or always calling India home first before it's like the country that they live in. And um, and I've always rallied against that idea because that's not like also because where my family are originally from, like like we're talking over a hundred years back, mm. um, like so where my great great grandfather was originally from, is a particularly poor part of India and is still a particularly poor part of India and um, was also heavily affected by colonialism. It's where all of uh, where a, a huge majority of the Indian diaspora is from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people from the West Indies, from Fiji, um, you know, if, you, if you're part of the Indian diaspora, you come from this area in India um, because that's where the British first colonised India from. So it's a place called Bihar. And, and even now today, it's incredibly poor. And, and the language that I speak is, is connected to that language, but, you know that language doesn't exist anymore. It's, it's shifted to Fiji and Hindi. And I, sp- I speak Fiji and Hindi. I don't speak Hindi. And whenever I meet an Indian person who is from India, they always correct me and say, no, I don't speak Hindi. And I'm like, I can wear a sari. I can do all of these things. What do you mean? I can, and I can understand what you're saying. You know, I can watch a Bollywood film without subtitles. I can do that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, char- you know, you don't need to translate Shah Rukh Khan for me. He's good in any language. Like I can do that, but it, like, it just kind of makes me think about, like, it, like, I mean, like in a very sort of weird sort of way, it makes me think that the language that I speak is a language that's constructed from poverty, um, because it's it was a way of these incredibly poor itinerant workers to connect with indigenous people as well as the col- you know the colonizer the english and so fijian hindi is made up of fijian but also english and he- hindi and other dialects that are made up for that and so like it's a real hybrid it's a real lingua franca it's a real sort of creole language um and like to think of it as something I guess, I mean, is it apathetic? It's maybe not apathetic, but to think of it as something lesser than it is, is just really... Yeah, right. Um, like, it feels like language is really foundational. And, um, and like, I know... Like, I have cousins in the UK who, don't, who understand Fiji and Hindi but can't speak it. And I think I'm so lucky that even though I don't have... I would never be able to write Hindi because it's just like, like it squiggles to me. But I can understand it enough to be able to have conversations with people, yeah. even in my shyness. I had this incredible experience happen to me last Friday, mm. where I was at um, the National Art School in Sydney, and this this guy like. He, I, he looked to me like he was Fijian, but I wasn't sure and I didn't say anything. And I looked lost because I was trying to put up posters for um, 
Parramatta Artist Studios to kind of let people know it now that we're having like our studios are open, come apply. And uh, we started talking. He's like, okay, well, do you need to put up posters? And I was like, yes, I do. And then um, he's like, where are you from? And often I wouldn't answer that question because it's such a loaded question. People never, especially if it's coming, it, it's it's just always loaded. It's always such a loaded question. It's like, and I can never say. Is there a better way to ask that question? <clears throat> Because I imagine that wasn't what he was asking. There was like, that was just the words that were used. But yes, is there is there a better way to ask the real question? Because the real question is something about, tell me more of your story. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. That's the real question. Hopefully that's the real question. Sometimes it's more like, why don't you fit into what what I understand you to be? Uh-huh. Um, I don't like, I think it depends on the circumstances. Like yeah. I think sometimes I'm happy to share where I'm from yeah. and who I am, but there are other times where I'm literally like, I don't need to share this information with you. Yeah. And um, if it was like a white dude in a ute with a singlet, that may have been more triggering of that feeling. Sometimes it's actually like the Indian guy at Seven Eleven, though. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. Tell though. me, tell me about that. Well, because like often they're like, "Oh no, where are you from?" And when you say like, and then I was like, "Well, sometimes I'm like, I like to be cheeky," and I go, "Why don't you guess?" And they never get it right, and they get super annoyed, and and then I'm going, "I don't actually need to tell you. Like, it's really." Is it because um, that they want to be? They want you and them to be the same. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, right. You know? Um, or... Like, they want to celebrate their sameness with yeah. you. Hopefully, you're, you're like, you look like you could be a comrade. Yeah. Sometimes, yes. But then sometimes I'm also, like, very conscious that, um, you know, there's, there's, you know... In, in particular, like, I wouldn't necessarily say in my family, but, you know, there is such a – it's a very patriarchal society and, and you know, um, men look down on women in Indian communities. Right. Um, and so if you buy into that we are same, then you're buying into a whole host of other yeah. social norms from a – that may not be – yeah, that are different than – Yeah, um, and that I don't – necessarily pertain to um and that i don't uh yeah like i don't want to um uphold those value systems um or particular value systems i think that there's um value in some of the things that are, are there but i also feel like um I was also surrounded by women who made sure that other women were educated and um, um, I I was, you know, raised to sort of look after my family but also kind of like, I don't know, like it, it, it's complicated and, 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 and it's hard to talk about because um, when you're in it, it's very hard to see what's outside of that yeah i i wonder actually i'm just going to turn the heater up in case it's making 
But I have a vested question. Okay. Ah. So I'm doing a project that the first stage of it was called Blokes. Yeah. And we've got a feedback session coming up called Beyond Blokes because I'd like to get beyond our initial development stage. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think a lot of it is just us dealing with a similar thing, but maybe you can educate me more on that about like we have the – this essay that I read, um, tribal identifiers of yeah. a certain, I would call it a subculture by numbers, but I know that it's a, it's a dominant culture in Australia, or at least a very visible one. Um, but there are aspects of that, yeah. the rules and the social norms that we don't pertain to. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I don't mean to disregard the people of, that generation but like it, it's not that i have another culture that i can claim yeah and it's see i uh, it sounds kind of like you have had experiences with this and i want to know your thoughts about this as well yeah and you're like yes i am you but i'm not you yeah yeah like i feel like um i've had really dear friends of me mine turn around and say hey you could be white which is like hella racist is it a comp are they giving it to you as a compliment i think they are <laughs> and i feel like yeah because like i'm not like like this is not makeup <laughs> like <laughs> and honestly i'm pretty lazy with the makeup front so it'd be really like ridiculous to us you're not gonna enter into white face no no i'm not but i mean there's also the thing that you don't like, but not to people that don't know you you couldn't be yeah i mean uh sarah scott yeah in brisbane she talks about the privilege of ethnic ambiguity yeah and that some people have it and so they can allow themselves to be yeah claimed by whoever decides yeah. to like them and then there are people who don't have the yeah option of being ambiguous in how they look yeah but i also feel like um i think that um i've also managed to sort of get a lot of privilege by being educated and also by living in australia um, to a certain extent that I, it means that I can quote-unquote act white or, like, like share enough of my life with a stranger or a white person or whatever to kind of make them assume that our lives are very similar. Yeah. And it's not. Like, when I talk about my home being an little Fiji or a little Fijian Indian community, I meant it. Like, I grew up with shared rooms until I was, like, into my mid-teens like I grew up eating with my hands um I grew up uh you know in a culture where there were days in the week where we didn't eat meat um you know eat like like even now if you ask me to set the table I will freak out I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> like like and that's just stuff that I don't share on the daily with people because it's not relevant to to the situation. They'll see me like like 
sure I, I have brown skin and but they, they've never probably seen me in a sari and why would they like I, I wear those things at cultural events I don't wear them every day um, they might see that I wear bright colors but they won't assume that that's because I grew up with Indian clothes and Indian clothes are incredibly bright colored and shiny and those are the things that I like in my life and that some of these things might be ripped off of those some of those clothes um, the, like yeah like I mean there are ide- like I, mean, I don't know like it is that thing of um but I think it took me a really long time to kind of start voicing those things as well like because because there's very few in my community that's that's in the art world or that I can connect to that I can kind of locate as a point of ah oh, hey that person's like me or and I, like I, I know more and more now but um when I was thinking about these ideas as a teenager mm. they didn't really exist um you know as a young adult they didn't really exist um and I think you know now I'm in sort of like early 30s it's kind of it's like <laughs> I, it's it's a very different spectrum and then I kind of like <clears throat> but then I also kind of am also incredibly privileged in that I I've managed to navigate places and spaces that my community would feel incredibly uncomfortable in like I you know it's it takes an arm and a leg for my mum to come to an art exhibition even one that you know I made for her it like it would take an extraordinary amount of energy for her to come along to see something that I made and when she's in spaces like that I can see how uncomfortable she is and why should she be like this should be a safe space for her as well as me as well as any other person who's on the periphery and yet it's not like you know I keep having conversations at one of my works where we keep um, they they they've they've asked me to to do surveys, mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is a particularly uh, you know the, the 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 place that I work is a is an arts institution of quite some caliber. It's located, you know, at Circular Quay. We have a lot of international guests come through. We have 40% of that, like 40% of our guests, if not more, are, you know, people from non-English speaking backgrounds. Yet the team, the entire team is made up of less than 10% people of colour. And I kind of go, there's something wrong here. You know, if your audience isn't reflected in your team, like, you, you, you know, there should be some reflection of your audience into your team and it's not there. Like, and you keep asking what's wrong and I keep going, it's because you were in, like, mm. like, you know, like, well, you, you can't, like, these are statistics that aren't you. Stop acting like they are new, mm. <laughs> you know? Where do you think that starts, the, the disconnect between what we know and what we fail to do about what we know. <laughs> like, do you think people just assume, like, 
are there a lack of people involved of colour because they're not comfortable and they don't come or because, like, where do they get stopped? Like, um, I think it's about language sometimes. Huge, like, I think it's about language. I think it's also about we can't see ourselves in these spaces, you know. I've had some interesting conversations with people who are doing Australia Council funding and going, we can't see the other people. I'm like, it's because you didn't invite them in. <laughs> yeah, I've had a similar discussion yeah. with them about um, targeted invitation yeah. to particular people because if you just say the door's open then you'll only get the people wandering in who know, who feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah, you know, who know, who feel comfortable, who who know how to tick the boxes to a certain extent. Yeah. I think I experienced that in class. Yeah. Um. Whereas there are people that I spend my time with that also don't feel comfortable. Yeah. And that also don't see themselves in these spaces. But that's because that's not due to race. Yeah. And I wonder if it's due to education or due to class. I wonder where there is a difference. I wonder if your mum and my dad have much more in common than they would assume. Yeah, and probably. that actually the discomfort is much more about self um, identif- identity than it is about. Yeah. And that that doesn't come, it comes from many other environmental factors and ex- life experiences. Yeah. But the feeling that it boils down to is exactly the same. Yeah. This space is not my space. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, like, I think um, it's interesting. Like, I haven't um, written in a really long time. Like, a re- like probably, um, I don't know if it was because of this project or, or, or what, but there have been a number of circumstances where I basically haven't written in over a year. And to stop writing um, as an artist about your arts practice for over a year is, like, a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's inconceivable, especially when you get to a particular point where you you actually need to keep writing. Mm. Um, is it like the Madeline thing, the movie, where, like, she just... No, Matilda, where because her faculties aren't being channeled, it just builds up and builds up, and then she gets telekinetic powers. <laughs> I wish I had telekinetic <laughs> powers. Maybe it's more. Um, I think for me, like there wasn't. Um, I think it was stress. I think I couldn't write because I was super stressed, and also because it just. Um, maybe it was because I didn't want to add more to this project that was costing me a lot emotionally anyway. Um, but I didn't write, and I wasn't really reading either um but i i have been writing in the last little while and i'm i'm uh, like last year i was attempting to study and um and and i just realized 
like I just got really frustrated at studying. I was studying at Sydney Uni and I was studying curating. And I would often um, like I, I like I would look around the room and I'd see maybe two or three people of colour and I'd get disheartened and I'd look at the the list of things that we were reading and it would be Eurocentric and it would often be male and I'd just be like this is not my community and I'd find myself sort of just getting really more and more frustrated. Um, and then I thought, well, this year I'm going to look for schools that I want to go to, that I want to channel my energy towards. And I'm going to look for schools that aren't in Europe or the West, essentially, because I'm tired of that sort of education system. And so there were two places that I found and, and I'm writing this application um, to potentially live in South Africa for a little while. And there's like there's a number of attractions for for that. Um, but I'm writing this application and I kind of – because I kind of stopped writing and also because I spent – I, I work in a museum – and one of the things that's really beautiful about working in a museum is that you talk to people every day about art. Mm. And the way you talk to people every day about art changes. And, like, the way I talk to people about art is I just want to open up the door for them. I don't want to, like, let them through. Like, I, I want them to be able to get there on their own because I think that's important because people are intelligent. Well, that's my feeling anyway. <laughs> Sometimes they prove you wrong, but, like, <laughs> like but, like... I'm convinced that there are lots and lots of intelligent people in the world. Um, and and so because I've spent a year sort of speaking to people about art, um, the way I write is now very different and it's much more simplified. Um, and that's probably – it's probably the way that I speak. And I think that that's really important because I don't – um, like my gra- like I, I grew up like in the like when I was learning grammar in the eighties, they didn't do grammar, so I have no idea actually how grammar works. Like it's not a thing for me. <laughs> and plus, because I grew up between languages, it's just like like it's it's shot. Like I don't have any clue as to how anything works. Yeah, like, it's embodied or it's not there. It's not there. <laughs> and so when I speak, it's a little bit easier to kind of be like, ah, oh, yeah, that that. Like, you know, that sounds good, so mm. it must make sense. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting to kind of talk through ideas and kind of be able to, like, feel like this idea has legs and potentially has, like, and like in the process of writing this application, like I kind of had to break down who I was, yeah. um, you know, what all of the things I've done so far has led me to this point. Why do I want to do this? Um, and then also, like, I had this particular idea that I wanted to sort of talk about and then it shifted completely <laughs> in the process of writing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> mm. um, but it, like, it is, like, it kind of, like, a, a, our friend Leili was talking about how he wanted to write his PhD in his language, in his vernacular. And I think that that's important because I think, you know, our voices are often lost in academic speak. Um, and 
like I think academic speak is important for a particular purpose, but I don't think it connects ourselves to communities. And if you're a practitioner who is who's who has a vested interest in working with communities or speaking for a particular community, then you should have the ability to write for that community. Yeah, the community that is not the academic community. Yeah. Um, how do you know when an idea has legs? How do you... How do I know? How do you know when your idea is worth the blood, sweat and tears? <laughs> um, I feel like it's emotional. Like, um, there's... Like, there is that... Um, and often sometimes I work through ideas or workshop them a number of times before it gets to the to the final point or the not the final point but the point where I'm ready to show it off or sometimes I show it off beforehand because I think sometimes you need that push but um I think it's really clear like it's really clear in my head that that's an idea that's going to work I remember I made a work, video work about my grandmother and this is in my final year of uni and I was I was I was pretty lost at that point because I was making these really large assemblages, which are great, but they felt really disconnected. Like if you looked at them, you'd look at them and see a bunch of colors and shapes. But underneath that was like all of the shapes were um, hand cut and kind of were sort of put together to kind of talk about my own instability at being from here, but not here. And you couldn't see that unless I told you that <laughs> like you could all you saw was like a bunch of pretty colors and shapes and then I kind of made this video work where I erased an image of my grandmother and um I could just see it really clearly like I could I figured out the steps of it and kind of was like okay I can work it out and like like for me I could visualize it like the steps I needed to do to make the video and I knew that it would connect some way to audiences because it dealt with really bigger themes. It dealt with um, her her passing, but it wasn't like it was resonant, but it was really um, like it was like it was a cycle when it kind of like, you know, you could see it come into focus and then out of focus and then she disappeared completely Um and it, it, you know, but then like the, the the video started over again, and it happened over and over again, and it was meant to be played on a loop, and um, it was sort of talking about how, you know, even like it was meant to be a memento mori of her, um, for her, and at the time it was like ten years after she had passed away, um, and so I had been thinking about her a lot, and. Um, and what an influence she had been on my life. And that image of her was probably when she was my age at that time. So I think in her late 20s, um, she wasn't looking at the camera. She was she was wearing this beautiful sari and um, it, like it was trying to connect our lives. And you could see my hand as you like erasing it. Um, but it was also using things that were familiar to her, like um, uh, in... <laughs> In Hinduism, when you pray or when you begin to pray, you always um, 
you you bathe the idols you sort of bathe them with milk and honey and and wash them with flowers and and then you start praying you you sort of you always um you make a, a sort of i guess you make them feel comfortable first then you do and then then you you start the act of worship and it was using these sort of you know i poured milk onto the image and then i wiped it away and threw flowers onto the image and blew that away and and then I erased the image and then put flowers onto it again and and these are all rituals that she was very familiar with um and she was she was she was a devout devout Hindu like she was really she's really funny um like like she she was also like a vegetarian like a like a super like 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 very hardcore vegetarian to the point when she went to like my uncle's house in Adelaide who was a catholic she was like i'm i'm not eating anything that has touched beef in this house you need to buy me new pots and pans mm. <laughs> to cook food for me um like hardcore but she was also like covered in like really shitty tattoos <laughs> You know, and I'm, I'm almost certain that she was a feminist, but she would never use those words. And, you know, like I was when I was in Fiji recently, I saw the house that she bought and I was like, she bought a house for herself? Like how amazing that this woman, you know, she lost her husband. She was really young. Um, All of these, like she lost her husband when she was like in her mid-30s, so my age right now. And for a woman of her age at that time, that would have been huge. And yet she kept teaching and and looking after her family and, and then supporting other women to, to keep learning. Um, and, you know, became this weird, crazy lady with tattoos. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like I think her influence on my life has been profound, but... Um, but it's also hard to talk about because she also made me really angry. <laughs> can can you talk a little bit about um, what you said before about being here but being not from here? Yeah. Um, yeah, like I think um, I've always felt kind of disconnected like I talk about this sort of little patch of Fiji in mm, like an embassy. Yeah, like an embassy or um or like like yeah, like Australia was outside. And I think um does that include the the other people of Australia that would have had their Italian embassy at home or their Probably. Croatian embassy yeah. at home. They were all the Australians that were outside your home. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, like I think um, it actually like really astounds me like how um, I guess Indian my family is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it is also that thing of um, like I, whenever I'm with my parents, I always try and speak Hindi with them because – I think that's really important for me, even though their English is great. Um, um, but I think it's also that thing of, like, there was a really long time where I couldn't 
talk about being Fijian or in Fijian Indian with anybody outside from my community um, because it's a really complicated relationship um, um, and also because I left when I was so small mm. like I left when I was two years old so a lot of my memories are from Fiji are really from family holidays from my grandmother's house um they're not my own memories. Mm. Like, um, they feel an ill-constructed. Um, th- you know, th- they come from the fact that, like, I have, like, thousands of uncles and aunties, like, many of whom I have no idea how I'm related to. <coughs> um, but it's also that sort of hos- inbuilt hospitality. Like, I always sort of try and make sure people are looked after because that's a very Fijian Indian thing to do to make sure that people have tea or to <coughs> to um, to feed people mm. um, um, you know is it uh, <coughs> is it the right country that I'm thinking of that Indian people in Fiji cannot buy land yeah they can't, so they lease it, mm. um, which is really interesting. And then also, like, I mean, it's it's such a complicated history. And I think in 2012, 2013, the, like, it, it wasn't until very, very recently. So, like, I think in 2013, um, either just before the election or just after it. No, I think it was just before the Fijian election so there wasn't a um so for a significant period of time fiji was um not under democratic rule Mm. (coughs) um and so there was a an election in 2000 and i think 2014 but before that um before that election, there was a change in the constitution which finally acknowledged Indian Fijians in the constitution. And I was like, I've always said that I was Fijian Indian. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I wasn't Fijian Indian. Um, but, I like, I think the dis... Like, um, so... Uh, I was, yeah, like there, there's always been this sort of dis- dislocation and I was travelling through um, Africa at the end of 2013, 2014 and I was reading a number of books while I was there, one of which was um, The Return to Post-Colony, which is talking about artists returning to, I mean, at this point, returning to, to Africa and I was reading about Zarina Bimji and I was also reading this book written by Shiva Naipul called uh, uh, North of South, mm. which is him traveling through East Africa, which is where I was traveling through. Um, but this was probably, he was doing it in the mid 70s. Um, and it was really interesting to sort of put bring these two things together because it was talking about the Indian diaspora in Africa. And it kind of made me think about Fiji. And and it made me kind of go, well, there's there's some very similar circumstances in that um, 
itinerant workers were brought over to Africa to build the railroads. Itinerant workers were brought over to Fiji to work the sugarcane fields. Um, they were told that they could either pay their way back or stay, which wasn't much of a job. <laughs> like, like they, they weren't really getting paid, so there wasn't really an option. Um, and then these communities would live in the same place for close to 100 years, if not more, have lives, build, you know, you know, families and and their community. And in Uganda, there was the expulsion which happened in the, the late 60s and all of the Indian community in Uganda was asked to leave. <coughs> How do you define, how did they define, like, who was Indian and not? Because you say, if that in Australia, like, all right, all Anglo-Australians, you've been here 200 and something years, it's time. Then, goddamn, that would be messy. Yeah. Well, I mean, how would you define it? I don't know. But they defined it. And, you know, close to 60,000 people were asked to leave. And it made me think about gaps. It made me think about the fact that... Um, Often what we have is a history of binaries. We have a history of colonized, decolonized. But there are people who slip between. Yeah. Um, like the Indian diaspora community yeah. or other diaspora communities. Um, and if we're talking about diaspora communities. <laughs> um, like, it, And it just made me think about that. It made me think about um, exile and it made me think about going back to the Ramayana, the Ramayana is a story of exile. Mm. It's particularly important to the Indian diaspora community in Fiji because we can never go back. Mm. I mean, we can try. But and this is what I think about when I feel like, I, when I say that I'm dislocated or mm. um, I think about the fact that... Um, I can't go back to Fiji, like I can't go back to, I can't go back to where I'm originally from because that do, that place doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, um, what does that mean for somebody like me, yeah. who's a white dude, <laughs> uh, who acknowledges that I am descendant from a colonial force? Does that mean that I have a back to go back to? Or would that require that I identify as English or British so that I would have something to go back to? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's about where you are now. You know, Maybe. I you know, like I think um so I'm in the process of making this new, new-ish work. Um, I made a work last year where I erased a map of Australia. Um, and at the time, I was really angry. I was really angry at the arts community, like what was happening to the arts community in Australia. I was angry at like what was happening to refugees. I was angry at the fact that I was one of the privileged people who came to Australia the right way, whatever that meant. Um, even though my family, like 
part of the reason we migrated to Australia was because my parents could see that there would be no virtue in their children staying in Fiji because there would be no opportunities for them. Um, and even though they were pretty comfortable, you know, um, like my dad had a really great job working in agriculture in Fiji. He, he, he didn't get that opportunity in Australia. He's a bus driver. <laughs> He's a great bus driver. Yeah. Any particular routes that I might like? Uh, you, well, he's he's just officially retired, oh, okay. uh, but you may have caught him on the four hundred if you wow. ever caught the four hundred. Awesome. Yeah, like he did that like for years. In fact, he would occasionally force me to because um, the four hundred goes past the airport. He like he was really obsessed with me taking the four hundred to the airport. To get to the airport. <laughs> the four hundred, if anybody, <laughs> it's. It just takes forever to get to the airport. It takes like a good hour and a half from Bondi to get to the airport. It's the long way to get to the airport. He's told all of my friends to take the 400 <laughs> to the airport. He's like, it costs you $4. I'm like, Dad, it costs you four uh, hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But he's, um, but yeah, like they had to give up. I guess intellectual stimulation for yeah. financial things, or yeah. like not financial things, but um, no, but um, citizen recognition. Yeah. For their children. Yeah. Do you? Would you? Do you feel like you need a break? Would you like some water or some tea or something? Tea sounds good. Right. Yeah. All right. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot. Um, what's your time limit? Um, I have to go to the gym at 2 p.m. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about Western Sydney being really special to you. Um, yeah, so I grew up in Western Sydney and it is really special to me. And I think one of the reasons it's so special to me is as as a as a migrant kid from you know a very small minority i know that there's like maybe 10,000 people in australia that are of my community that's really small um okay maybe i'm related to half of them but whatever <laughs> um, but um you know like i grew up in a you know i went to high school and primary school with 50 different nationalities and I wasn't odd. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't strange. Yeah. And and because I was part of a group of people who had weird names and had brown skin and uh, might not have looked like me but had, you know, grew up with chopsticks or ate with their hands as well. And so I didn't have to have those conversations about oh, this is how, what I eat at home or whatever, because I think there was like this inbuilt understanding that you probably had weird food at home too. Yeah, right. It's like the thing that brings comfort is just the not people not having the assumption yeah. that you and their experiences are the same experience yeah. or that it should be. Yeah, or that it should be or that – you know, I was allowed to exist as myself. Um, and I've been really fortunate and I've lived in different parts of the world and I've lived in parts of the world that are very homogenous. And when you find yourself walking down a street 
and being pointed to because you're the only person, like you're the only brown person around, mm. there's a very different sense of how you feel about your body. Yeah, and I how felt you- like that in Japan. Yeah. Or in, um, I was in a village in Malaysia. Yeah. And I was walking just down this village road. Yeah. And people would like stop their scooters yeah. to watch this white boy go past. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm exotic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and lost. Yeah, exotic and lost. <laughs> um, but it was like it is interesting because I, I, I never felt different when I was growing up in Auburn or in Litcombe, and it was really nice to have Asian neighbours, and it was really nice to kind of, um know that I wasn't so strange. Or at least that everybody was strange. Or that everybody was strange. Yeah. And that's, like, that's pretty, that's a pretty incredible space to grow up in. I didn't realise that it was so rare. Yeah. Because in Darwin, where I grew up, it's not. Yeah. um, There there is a vast mix of people who are been there for generations or been there, like, just moved there. Yeah. And ha- go home to different languages and different foods. Uh, and it doesn't seem, it didn't ever seem to me to be a segregate, a cause for segregation. Yeah. And I think also, like, I grew up, like, all of my friends who I went to high school with are also educated and, you know, uh, have interesting home lives and, and, you know, like are, are living their lives to the best of their ability, you know, whatever that may mean. And, um, and I feel like um, it is interesting, like even living in different cities in Australia, like I felt, I felt being Indian was something that I couldn't really talk about in Melbourne. Hmm. Um yeah, it was just that thing of maybe it was where I was living or, um, yeah, it was just really like, oh, I, yeah, like I felt like and maybe it was because I wasn't, I didn't go out to like Daddy Nong or, <laughs> or I mean, yeah, like, but I did feel like Melbourne felt very white to me. And I didn't realise it until maybe midway through my stint how wide it was. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's also that thing of maybe absence makes the heart grow fonder and maybe like my time away from Miss and Sydney made me realise how much that had deeply been embedded into myself and my cultural being. Yeah. Do you reckon in, like, just in case people are interested, <laughs> in, like, ten minutes you can, or two seconds, you can say what you do? What do I do? Yeah. Um, and it can be real zoomed out. Like, <coughs> I'm working hard to break the narrative. Or <laughs> it can be, like, I go into my studio and I put a piece of cardboard down yeah. and then I rub out the map. <laughs> Sometimes it's just that, like it's rubbing out the map. Um, like 
like lately I've been thinking a lot about scaffolds, mm. um, like structures that I can create, like whether they're like ideas or actual physical structures where other people can also hang their ideas on. Mm. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at, I think, with what I do. Like mm. I'll come up with an idea and then like if there's something if if an idea has legs in it like i think it's access like it doesn't matter like like it might be my like it might be my cultural background or my my own history that is embedded into it but it'll translate like it'll like my connection to my grandmother translates because you have a grandmother you know uh it doesn't matter that she was a hindu woman wearing a sari she's like she's my grandmother um um yeah there's something about like being able to maybe build the first square and then be able to let other people hang their own ideas and if it's like like if it's a scaffold like the material between it or creating it is breathable so that there's this opportunity for idea like my idea to go through but your ideas to also come through so like it's a permeable structure mm. there's something about that that i really like like And that it can be repeated, but that every time it's remade, it's different, or that it accounts for something that's been done before. Um, I don't think that told you anything, but maybe it told you everything. <laughs> uh, what do you prefer that people call you? Um, I, I think it's really important when I first introduce myself that people call me Shivanjani. It's a difficult name, but it's my name. Um, and also, it's a name that I reclaimed. Um, but over time, I don't really mind. People call me Shiv, Shiva, Shivs. One person called me, calls me Shaz, but she's of a very special circumstance. Um, <laughs> Nobody else. <laughs> like, literally. Like, yeah. Um, but then also my family called me Arti. Or really, really old friends call me Arti. Um, so, yeah. How do you how do you build the scaffolding? How do you build the structures or the framework or the th thoughts or how do I build it? Yeah, like I know Richard Feynman, for example, speaks about there's between seven and twelve key ideas that float around yeah. in his mind or in somebody's mind. And then whatever they come across yeah. will like magnetize to one of those things. And so yeah. you're just gradually accruing things and then enough time or experience or exposure has passed that then you have to do the work of putting them all together so that they can so yeah. that you can then let it go. Yeah. But you're you're always holding on to these things. Yeah. It's like you've got the rainbow in your hand and every green thing goes with the green thing. <laughs> and every purple thing that you see, you've got to pick it up and put it in the purple thing yeah. and keep carrying it around. Yeah. Um, I feel like all of the stuff that I make, all like... Um, so everything kind of shifts around a little bit, but um, I've always kind of... I've been like rewriting my bio... <laughs> 
Yeah, which is like rewriting your history. Yeah, it's yeah. totally. And um, mine went in on a big shift about two months ago from what I had done <laughs> to what I am interested in. Yeah, because I decided that if people read it, I want them to be able to come up and talk to me about that thing that I write down. Yeah. Not, hey, so you worked for such and such on the Hey, so you're interested in mm. whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> Mine, um, I think when I first started making art, it was super conceptual and didn't really talk about who I am. Mm. Um, and then I realized that actually I wanted to account and acknowledge for things. So I always sort of talk about the fact that um, I was born in Fiji, I'm culturally Indian and I grew up in Australia because I think those are significant points of reference and also because I feel like I don't want somebody to, like I don't want, like not that any reporter or anybody who is particularly interested in my, my background. <laughs> hey, but, Wombat Radio, you made it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just, like I wanted it to be from my own words, not somebody else's yeah. putting it on to me. Um, but it was also about acknowledging these points of reference like that are significant to me. And maybe it was also about kind of going, maybe some of this is a lie. And I think for a really, really long time, the born in Fiji bit was a lie. Like it was just like I had to put it in there because I didn't know how else to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but then it was like, um, like it's been about like home or these ideas of home and identity have always been huge in my practice. But lately I've been thinking a lot about the body. Um, and, and then also because I'm really interested in audiences, I always talk about how I'm interested in connecting with audiences but I've also been thinking a lot about healing spaces. So instead of installations or things that I would like that are quite like points of reference, I talk about healing spaces or or like like often the works that I make are site specific and do sort of deal with healing in very broad senses of the word. Mm. Um, it, it, um, do they deal with it in a way that they provide listening? Yeah, or a space. Like, there's a particular work that I made called The Cave where I ask people to um, take a stone to think about what they want to let go of, lose or leave behind. Mm. And then I get them to hold the stone and then I get them to wrap it up in brown paper and then put it somewhere within the site. And it shifts the site. But it also... Um, um, yeah, it shifts the site, and I think that there's a because the weight of what they leave behind is held on to the fabric of the structure, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and I think there's something like there were things in that work that I wasn't expecting to happen that happened that I'm so grateful for. Um, and it's a really like, like, I think one of the things that I, compelled me to make it was that often we're always asked to share how we feel, you know, to talk about it. Of there, like, But there's no translation into gesture. Yeah. Well, we're living in a post-Freud situation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of wanted to provide, like I feel um, 
like in Hinduism, there are all these gestures around um, how we say thank you and how uh, we work our way through grief and and all of these things um and and like even though i'm cognizant of some of them i'm not cognizant of all of them but i was just wondering how i could and i think at the time i was going through a heinous breakup and i just wanted to not talk about it anymore but to kind of just do something yeah well that's the beauty of ceremony yeah um and i felt like there are some things that don't need to be said. They can be put into some. There's there's something about that sort of physical translation yeah. that's equally as valid, if not more so, than the actual act of saying, "I don't like you anymore." <laughs> yeah, I. And I, I think sometimes we do it anyway, like physically. Definitely, I do, I wonder about these things. Um, because I don't have a um, well, it's tricky because being Anglo-Australian, yeah, I, I technically don't have another culture that I can glean these things from. I only have the commodified, capitalized twist on yeah what is uh, post-colonial world culture that is American and British and Canadian yeah. and Australian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, then um, what I, I guess, could access is religious ceremony. Yeah. And I want to push back against all of those because I think they're way too wrapped up in shame. Yeah. And I don't think shame helps anybody. No. But then... I don't know. I'm working on a project at the moment, meaning I have been thinking about it and I spent three hours in the studio. <laughs> because, That's working on a project. Yeah, working, <laughs> it's the freshest, most raw one. I'm trying to find if in my own body exists a folk dance. Yeah. And a folk dance of an, an international community. Yeah. Because I... Where my genes may be Irish or German, or th- but that doesn't mean that those dances speak to me and are my folk dance. Yeah. Whereas I know that you would, like you were saying before, that you have traditional cultural dress yeah. that you wear at those yeah. services and ceremonies. Yeah. But I also feel like, th- I mean, like cultural dress is contemporary. And people forget this. And yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> so, like, Sometimes my job is just to say stupid <laughs> shit until someone's like, "Actually, hang on a second there." <laughs> so, it's it is, and like like the sari is three thousand years old. It's like, or three thousand years young. Like it's still a relevant piece of dress. Mm. You know, women wear it now. It's not traditional. Mm. You know. I don't have any saris that aren't like 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 I I the saris that I have are my age. They're not like a thousand years old. <laughs> yeah, right. What about the dancers? Do you have dancers? Um, 
Well, I have had dance teachers quit on me. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess I have dancers, Uh but I have, I guess I have gestures. And I think that Mm. those, there, there are particular things that I will, um, or like, um, that I will always kind of acknowledge. Like I will try and never have somebody touch my forehead when I have my period, because that to me is a religious symbol and, and, you know, you're not supposed to be doing these things when yeah. you are quote unquote unclean. Mm. And even though there's a part of me that rebels against that, yeah. there's also like a part of me that kind of goes, actually, I don't mind submitting to this. Um, that's it. That's what you just said is huge. <laughs> how, how is it that we choose to perpetuate the things that we have a problem with yeah. for the sake of the fact that it is ingrained in our identities. Yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll, last year in the development of this work, I, um, I remembered something that I had put aside. And I remembered that I, um, the last moment that I had with my Aji, who is my mother's, uh, who is my, my father's mother, um, my my Aji and my Nani were meant to be in this last work that I made, and they, for various reasons, they weren't in it. And um, but in the development of this work, I remembered something that I had experienced. And uh, they were really curious women. They were both born on the same day, and they died in the same year. And my Nani passed away first, and because it was my twenty first birthday, my parents were like, "Would you like to spend time in Fiji?" with your RG and I was like yes free holiday winning and so I spent a good period of that time reading and giving my RG massages and laughing with her and I think I was like in my third year of uni um and it was the last day and we were in our house and my great uncle and his wife and they were there, and my Aji was there. And the other thing about my Aji and my Nani were they were both widows, and they were young widows. They lost their husbands in their, like, mid-30s, early 40s. Um, so I, I, I've never known my grandfathers. They've always been these two women. And and there was this moment, and there's a there's a gesture that you do to show respect for for your elders in your community and that gesture in Hin- in Hinduism is, is and in Indian culture in general is that you touch somebody's feet and I saw my mum do this to these three elders in my family and there was a moment and there was a pause where I could have done it and I just I couldn't and like I remember the dialogue in my head I remember thinking that I was a feminist I couldn't I'm Australian like all of this shit that was actually irrelevant because what mattered was that I loved her and this wasn't submissive it was actually an acknowledgement mm. and and I think that's that's it you know that's 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 the difference yeah. you know submissive something is submissive if you make it submissive if it's acknowledgement then it's a completely different thing yeah. um and it would have been a gesture of love you know it wouldn't have been about uh, 
me being a feminist or whatever shit that I had like trawling through my brain. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the same. So I would say the equivalent in my household is that dad sits at the head of the table. Yeah. And that chair, if he's not with us, is empty. Yeah. At the meal. And it's really nice to think that we are not submitting to the patriarchal rule. Yeah. But that um, as an acknowledgement yeah. of uh, an elder. Yeah. That you, leave, you make a space for them. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. What? So after the how... There's what and then the how, and usually we go into the what is your hope yeah for for building the scaffolding for having the conversations for yeah making the collaborations for finding where in the world you are with other people like you or yeah. you see that you're working with a team that yeah. is going in the direction that you think needs to go. I wonder what, because that's a lot of effort. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think working on something that from the outside world looks very successful, but internally felt really um, dissatisfying. It's not something that I want to continue or perpetuate anymore. Mm. Um You know, um, and I think it's also about, like, you know, for me, it's about continuing to have clearer conversations, to listen, to continue listening deeply, um, to make work from that space, because I think there's something incredibly powerful about making work from a space of listening. When I see other people make work from a space of listening, it makes me so happy. Like, even when I don't like the artist, I'm still like, fuck, you did that from a place of listening. Amazing. Like, because you can see things that other people can't. You can acknowledge things that other people can't, you know. Um, And I think it's also that thing, like the, this work that I'm sort of in the beginning stages of making about erasing is really about having bigger conversations about these binaries that we've created for ourselves. I'm tired of them, really tired of them. Like I don't actually sit within that framing. Perhaps no one does. But I don't think anybody does. And I think it's about <coughs> maybe in the erasing and I, like I know it's a violent action, but my like I think about my own name, and my name stems from the Shiva, and Shiva is the god of death and destruction. But there's something really amazing about renewal in that that people forget. Like you know, there are bushfires, but then what happens after the bushfires is this amazing generation, regeneration, and it's like so. If I get rid of the map, what's underneath? Yeah like new stories or old stories that have, have become contextualised again. Yeah. Well, it's like Angela Goh's piece yeah. in Next Wave, Desert Body Creep, how it's like, well, what if everything's dead? Yeah. What if no ideas are new? What happens then? The worms come in. Yeah. And new things grow. Yeah. Well, 
that's so cool and so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's about taking those risks. Yeah. There's, um, the, the, I feel like I hope that I can also be doing some of the similar things that you're talking about with the Blokes Project to say that that binary part of the narrative that you feel like you need to live up to is damaging. Yeah. So don't live up to it because it's damaging to try and live up to it. It's also damaging to all the people that you have to step on by living up to it. Yeah. Or let go of or disregard. Yeah. Or, yeah. I. That's why maps are so beautiful <laughs> because you, you look at even one of Australia when it was going to be um, – just from South Australia across to New Zealand all as one nation or where Australia was including <laughs> Papua New Guinea as part of its territory. Oh, my God. When I was I was in Auckland recently for yeah. my birthday and um, I was at a talk or and there was a traditional Maori greeting that happened. Well, I shouldn't say it was, there, was a, there was a Maori greeting at the beginning of it. And... Um, at the end, the guy asked if anybody was from the West Island, and I just was like, "Is he talking about Australia?" <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this Great. is amazing. <laughs> is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Um, I don't know. There's lots. <laughs> Isn't there so much? There's so much. Where, um, if people want to find out more, what what should they should they just search your name? Yeah. And seeing as how you misspell your name, can you spell out how we should spell your name? Um, so, S-H-I-V-A-N-J-A-N-I. And then my surname is Lal, L-A-L. Excellent. <laughs> we just search that on the internet and you'll come.